Tell somebody. So today we're in the Romans road, and we're going to be in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. So if you've got your Bibles there today, I don't know. I do know. It's the Lord and His Spirit always does this. But it seems like the last few weeks, the Sunday school lesson has just dovetailed perfectly with the sermon. And what was today's Sunday school lesson, adult Sunday school lesson on? Anybody remember? What? Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? And over and over and over again today in our lesson, we talked about that the Samaritan demonstrated his love. Well, today we're going to be reminded of the greatest demonstration of love that has ever been shown to man, and that is God giving his son. So if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Romans chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 5 through 8. Verses 5 through 8. And again, we want to remind everyone today of the power of love and the power of God's love specifically, and how it can transform a heart and a life. God demonstrates his love. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 5. The word of God says this, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Verse 6, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Again, God, today, please honor the reading and the preaching of your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Romans Road. What's the first passage? You even have bookmarks to help you today, so you have cheater script, right? <laughs> What's the first one? Romans 3.23, let's say it together. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? So we start with the gospel. To get to the good news, you got to tell the bad news. And the bad news is, if you look at the Ten Commandments, it's pretty simple. We cannot live up to God's expectation. He created us perfect. Sin entered the world. And ever since then, it's been a mess. Real quick aside here. Hear me out this today. This is really good. I don't want to go too far down this rabbit trail, but Wendy and I and my parents got to go to the Ark over in Cincinnati area. Have any of you ever been there? You guys have? Okay. Uh, we, we got to get you guys to go sometime if you haven't been. It is unbelievably massive. Of course, an Ark would be, right? But when you go through, there's so many things that you learn and you're reminded about God's judgment and his provision in a beautiful, beautiful way, okay? All have sinned, right? And fall short of the glory of God. What's the next verse we talked about last week? Romans what? 623. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, Right? If you keep going down the sin road, where are you going to end up? Death, right? Yeah, we had a lot of good discussion about this on our trip on the way out that Sunday. <laughs> about temptation, 
Remember that? There's a difference between temptation and sin, but sometimes when we are dwelling on things because we enjoy it, we've already moved past temptation into conception to sin giving birth. And when it conceives, it grows. And ultimately, what does sin bring? Brings death, right? Wages are what you earn. You earn death for your sin. But the gift is life. And what kind of life? Eternal life, right? You guys, I hope that you get this, that I know that you get this. I want to make sure that you understand. I'm, I'm speaking very simply here, but we don't need to make the gospel complicated, do we? There's sin, there's death, there's a gift that's life through Jesus. Surrender, repent, receive, be changed. You can tell that story, right? And so I hope that you're uh, not too, um, don't think it's too tedious, but we're going over very simple things that we need to store so that we can share. All right. So today we're going to be in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. We're going to go ahead and read it now, but we'll read it again later on. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet or still sinners, Christ died for us. And then next week we're going to be in Romans chapter 10. And if you confess or declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with your heart man believes unto righteousness, and with your mouth confession is made unto salvation. I'm blending some King James and NIV here today, but these are the verses that remind us about how to come to Christ. And then finally, when we get to Easter Sunday, what is the message of the gospel? Whosoever, right? Oh, isn't that good? <laughs> hey, any, uh, any Gentiles out there today? I think I'm looking at all Gentiles out there today. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord. That's good, people. Anybody who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. So pray for Easter Sunday. This will be the message on that day. Pray that God will really open people's hearts to hear the gospel that they can be saved if they have not become Christians. All right, so there is your Romans road. We're going to get at the end of the message today. We're going to practice our three verses. At least I'm going to hit you up on Sunday. Now I've given you some cards to work on, right? Who is next Sunday going to share what they've learned? Anybody willing to stand up and share what they memorized? No takers? All right, be at work on it. I may have to call on some people next week, put you on the spot a little bit. Come to church anyways. All right. Author Mike Iaconelli says, he says, I travel a lot and I came to San Francisco one night and I missed my connection flight back home. Have you ever missed a connecting flight? Oh, it's one of the most frustrating things, right? I was angry and upset and I called my son on the phone. I wanted him to encourage me. I said, man, I'm stuck in the airport. It's been a horrible day. I've been traveling too much. My son said this, you know, Dad, if you didn't travel so much, you wouldn't have things like this happen. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I, excuse me. Well, I didn't appreciate that. I was ticked off. I said, let me talk to your son, which is my two-year-old grandson. Well, and I forgot that when you're two, you really can't talk. And when you're 60, you don't hear very well. That's not a good combination. He's mumbling on the phone. I'm hoping that this is going to make me feel better. It makes me feel worse. If 
finally I've had it. I hear the phone drop on the floor, and now I hear the kids playing, and I'm stuck in the airport. I have this miserable experience. I'm furious. I'm angry when all of a sudden I hear crystal clear over the phone, I love you, Grandpa. You know what? (laughs) All my anxiety, everything went out the window. There are people who are so busy that they're at their wit's end If only they'd stop for a minute, they could hear the God of the universe whisper to them, I love you. And he does, doesn't he? But God demonstrates his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What did we celebrate today? The Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist. We remember God's demonstration of love today. If you are stressed out and worn out and anxious beyond measure today, be quiet for just a little bit and crystal clear you can hear the Lord say, I love you. And he does. He does with action. Today everybody has a need, and I would dare say this is probably the greatest need of all, the need to be loved. Wouldn't you say that today? Everybody needs to be loved. I'm here to tell you today that God can meet this need. He created you with the need, and he knows how to fill the need. Most importantly, God loves you. I had a really good earthly father who helped me comprehend my heavenly father. I will say this, kind of interesting. My father, probably that I can remember, probably told me he loved me two or three times until the time I graduated high school, right? Any of you guys have fathers like that? That was my dad, right? There was one night, it was a special service on a Sunday night. I was walking down the side aisle and he gave me a big hug and he told me he loved me. And at graduation, he told me he loved me. And those are the two times I can remember, (laughs) right? Now, what has happened in our family, it's kind of interesting because I just kind of grew up the same way thinking, well, you know, every now and then if it's a real special occasion, I'll tell you I love you. But my son, Isaiah, you know, that great big hulky boy who thinks he's tough and sometimes he seems quiet and moody and all that stuff. Anytime he's done talking with you, he says, I love you. Every time. (laughs) So I've had to tell him I love him all his life. He's had it way too good, right? Uh, What I want to tell you this morning, even though my dad only said it verbally two or three times, his whole life, my dad demonstrated that he loved me. I never doubted it. I had never had any anxiety or fear that my dad loved me or my mom loved me. I just knew they loved me. I'm a real wonderful person right now. I knew I wasn't a wonderful person, but I knew they loved me. Today, we have a whole culture of people that don't know if their mom or their dad loves them. Right? Come on now, you hear me out today? Wendy and I live and breathe it, and most of you do too, but we see over and over and over again kids that aren't really sure if their dad loves them. They're not really sure if their mom loves them. What does our scripture tell us today? God loves you. God loves you in a demonstrative way, not in just a talking way. He did something about it, okay? When you get to this point in sharing the gospel with someone, this is one of the best passages in the whole Bible. You can say, yeah, I know your mom loved you. You might say, I know maybe your mom didn't love you. Or you can say, yeah, I know your dad loved you. You can say, maybe you never even had a dad, but let me tell you about your heavenly father, right? 
Your father loved you so much that he gave his son for you. God demonstrated his love. So today, just very simply, we're going to look through this truth. And I wanted to start with one of the most popular passages in all the Bible. This isn't from Romans. This is from John. But I think it's just, again, a great reminder that we share this. And sometimes, you guys, this is not a script for you to, uh, a sales pitch for you to walk through. Can you hear me today? You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever had someone give you a sales pitch? Have you ever had a poor salesman give you a sales pitch? Well, it says here in step four, I'm supposed to say this to you. Da, 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 da. <laughs> right? How does that work when someone's trying to sell you, right? Not very good, Okay. When you are witnessing to someone or sharing the gospel with someone, um, if you get out your card and you walk through it, that's fine. But if you're just going through that and just reading things and at the end you say, okay, are you saved now? (laughs) That might be an issue, right? It's got to be tied to your heart. And so as you share the gospel, you might find out that the Romans road, you don't just share, maybe you don't share all these verses, or maybe you put in some other verses that have meaning to you, okay? And one of those that you can use that you're very familiar with is the gospel of John 3, 16. Does it tell us that God loves us? Sure does. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. You guys know that verse, right? This verse here pairs up very well as a transition verse between Romans 6, 23 and Romans 5, 8. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life, everlasting life, right? Uh Uh-oh, we got that in the same verse here in John, don't we? And this verse also reminds us that God loves us. And then you can go to Romans 8 and say, you know how much God loves you? That while you were still a sinner, God gave Jesus to die for you. So use this stuff as a guide. Are you hearing me out this morning? This is not a scripted out thing, but this is stuff that you can put in your toolbox And when the Lord leads and the Spirit guides, you can bring out the right verse at the right time and share those things with people that you care about, that you want them to see, want them to come to know Christ. Musician Michael Card said in an interview again and again in China, he talked with people who had never heard of Christianity. They had never heard of Jesus. They'd never heard a single word from the Bible. But listen to this. Yet through nature and their God-given conscience, many believed in God. Not only did they believe God existed, they had derived some understanding about his loving character because he provided food and water and a beautiful world. One older woman told me, Michael Card said, I've known him for years. I just didn't know his name. There may be people here in Indianapolis that have known God for years, but they don't know his name. You would think there's no way. I'm telling you, there are people here who almost never hear of Jesus. We need to make sure that everyone knows. Before a person even hears of the cross of Christ, the greatest gift ever given to man, they can see from this world a generous and a loving creator, if only they will look up. When we were in the ark this uh, weekend, they had signs at different places that said, look up. Because what do we usually do? We look here, right? Okay. And when, when you would look up, you would see, oh, wait a minute, there's the second story and the third story and the fourth story, and you would see how massive this thing is. A friend from my church there back in Salem, Illinois, she would remind me to look up. And a lot of times when we're walking about this earth, what are we doing? Getting this done and get this finished, get this taken care of. And look up is basically a time where you rest for just a moment and try to recognize what is all around you, okay? 
If you watch the preacher very much, when I'm singing, I love to look up. I don't know why the Lord does that in me, but I like to look up. And I love that we have windows here with light. (laughs) And I love to sing and look up. I'm going to encourage you today to look up for God's grace. God gives grace to sinners and saints alike in this sense. We are all recipients of his goodness. And God's love extends to all people. For all people, he's provided a way of reconciliation. His love is that far-reaching. Let's just see how big it is, and that's where we want to focus today. So let's look in verse 6 of Romans chapter 5. And we're going to talk about some terminology here as we look at who we are when God gives his gift. And the first two descriptive words we have today are powerless and ungodly. Powerless and ungodly. Look in verse 6. And Paul writes to the church at Rome there, and he says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still, he likes that word still, powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Again, I remind you this morning, Jesus came at the right time. You ever thought about that? Jesus could have came when the pharaohs were running the show, in the time of Moses. And he could have, came, he could have come in uh, maybe in the Renaissance, or he could have come in the 1900s, right? But he came at the right time. Let me remind you just briefly again of a few things. Uh, at the time that Jesus came, the language barrier was really being broken down. Again, I think I've learned more at the ark than I realized today as I think through this. <laughs> they had the Tower of Babel and talked about the languages and how everything was broken apart and how that people really had to relearn technology as they relearned language after the flood. It was very interesting. Well, there was a time there when Roman peace began to be pervasive throughout most of the Middle East. So you had one country that was very much in charge, but they were making and bringing peace because there was this one authority. At that time, there was a culture that was being pervasive around that area. It was the Greek culture and the Greek language. So today, when I just got back from India, there was many places in India, which is, they have many languages, right? But there were English signs just about everywhere we went in India. I'm going to tell you, <laughs> as an English speaker, that made life so much easier, right? In the day when Jesus came, Koine Greek, or Koine means common, the common man's Greek was like the English of our day in that it was in many places and many cultures. So there's a Roman government, but there's a Greek culture and a Greek language that is pervasive. And because of that, when the gospel would go out, it could travel quickly because it didn't have to overcome so many cultural and language barriers. And again, I'll have you remember this. When we talk about common Greek, the Bible was written in the language of the fisherman, not of the scholar, right? Luke was a doctor, <laughs> but John, what did he do for a living? He went down to the creek over there and he threw his pole in and when that thing went under, he pulled out the biggest old catfish you could ever see. Now, I'm trying to not demean my fishing friends. I'm a fishing, I was fishing all day yesterday. Just only caught two, it was a bad day. It was good to be outside, right? But you don't think of fishermen usually as being the most highly educated of people. They may be highly intelligent, but not necessarily the highly educated. And if you read the book of John, or if you read 1st, 2nd, or 3rd John, or if you read the book of Revelation in Greek, it is the common Greek. It's the easy reading Greek. If you were to put it in our vernacular, it'd be the Greek of the fourth and fifth grader, not the Greek of the college graduate. All right? Now, let me share a little thing here from your preacher, okay? This is penology, so take it for what it's worth. I love King James Bible. I was led to the Lord by King James Bible. 
that King James Bible is a lot higher level English than an NIV or a New Revised Standard that we have today. So what I appreciate is I love that history and the beauty of that King James language, but I want the Bible to be in the same language of the people of the day as it was originally, right? If I take a Greek Bible and go into the jail, how much are they going to get? It may be the common language that was of the day, but I don't have that common language, right? Most of the guys in the jail, they're not reading Shakespeare on a regular basis, right? They're reading and hearing things of the common language of the day. And that's why I appreciate that we share the scriptures in the common language of the day as they were originally shared. Anyway, all this to say that Jesus was delivered. He was given. He came at just the right time. We, on the other hand, what does the scripture say there? We, on the other hand, were still powerless. Have you ever been powerless before? That is a a kind of a difficult feeling, isn't it, right? You ever been in a spot or in a situation where you couldn't help yourself? I'll just be honest with you. Some of the most frustrating days I have at work are when I need something to get fixed so I can do what I need to get done, but what I need to get fixed, I don't have the ability to fix it. Then I am powerless. And that is frustrating, right? In this same sense, for being whole, for being redeemed, for being reconciled, we were powerless. We were still powerless when God sends his son to the world. Beyond just being powerless, you can be powerless but not be wicked, right? You can be a good person but just not have the ability to accomplish something. But Paul says not only were we still powerless, we were un godly. We were not chasing after God, but we were chasing after ourselves. We were not anything like God. And the truth of this is, though, in this passage, while we were powerless, while we were ungodly, Jesus will die for us. Let's go on here just briefly. Look in there in verse 7. Paul begins to make this argument, and we're going to look at a couple other terms here. We saw powerless, we saw ungodly, but now we're going to look at righteous and good. Verse 7. The scripture says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though a, for a good person, somebody might possibly dare to die. So this is from some study, but again, take this for what it's worth. Um, a righteous person is usually a law-abiding citizen, right? We got any Mayberry fans out there? Citizens of Reyes, citizens of Reyes, right? Uh, if you ever watched Mayberry, Andy Griffith, right? For a law-abiding citizen, a righteous person, somebody who will do the right thing. Do you know people like that? you know some people that follow the rules pretty well? Dasha, are you a rule follower? When I was little, I was pretty much a rule follower, right? If the teacher said this, I would try to do that. My parents said this, I would try to do that. I would have been a law-abiding citizen for the most part. As I've gotten older, I don't think I'm as good as I was when I was little. Okay, what does the scripture say about this righteous person? For a law-abiding citizen, someone who will do the right thing, rarely will somebody die for such a person. You might appreciate a law-abiding citizen, but you're probably not going to die for them, would you? Eh, yeah, well, anybody can follow the rules. That's great, but you know, just because you're a rule follower doesn't mean that I'm necessarily going to risk my own well-being, health and well-being, or even give it up on your behalf. Look at the next term here. 
a good person, a good person. And this, some people think this is kind of backwards, but here this is identifying their heart. This is somebody who we would say probably is a step above the righteous. The righteous is the rule follower, but here someone who has a good heart, it's someone who shows mercy. Today in our lesson, we saw the Good Samaritan in Sunday school, right? Here is a, a man who has been beaten up. He's been left for dead. And the priest comes by the righteous person, right? The rule follower down to the, I mean, the very letter of the law, literally rule follower. And he's on his way and he can't be desecrated by anything or he may not be able to perform his duties. He sees that person, wonders if they're dead. He's like, yeah, I, I can't stop. I got to get going, right? And then who's the second guy comes by? The Levite, right? And well, we probably equate him today, maybe the worship leader or someone who was in charge of the temple. He had to deal with the things of the temple. He didn't have the same restrictions that the priest had, but he had a job to do, a job to accomplish. And this guy looked like he was in bad shape and he just didn't really have time. He had other things he was going to take care of. He was just not going to get involved, right? Maybe it's just better we don't get involved. You ever done that? Yeah, unfortunately, right? And then when Jesus is telling the story, uh, again, he's answering a, a, a person's question to begin with. Who, who ends up coming by? The Samaritan, right? The Samaritan what? That's what you should hear when you're a Jewish audience and you, the what? The, the Samaritan? Jesus, we don't have anything to do with Samaritans. They're horrible. They're the most mean, vile, wicked people, rude, self-serving. Jesus said the Samaritan went by and the Samaritan stopped, Right? And the Samaritan reached down and he put the man on his donkey and he gave him some salve, some ointment. He gave some cash to the hotel person so that he could stay, right? The Samaritan would be a good person. For a righteous man, probably no one is going to die. But for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. Would somebody die for that Samaritan? Well, maybe the guy he helped, he might, he might die for him, might he, right? When I was in the most desperate places, this man came and helped me. If I could ever repay the favor, maybe he would do that. We might say a good person deserves some redemption, wouldn't we? That Samaritan, he deserves something for what he did, doesn't he? Righteous person, eh, they follow the rules. Maybe, maybe not. But let's kind of go back to where we started here, Okay. We talked about the righteous person who follows the law. We talked about the good person who shows mercy. But what were we described again? How were we described? Powerless and what? Ungodly. We weren't described as righteous. And we're definitely not described as good. We were powerless and we were ungodly. And that's where we get into that main verse there in verse 8, right? And here's the truth again that you know. Christ died for us. But God commendeth or he demonstrates his own love for us in this that while we were yet or still righteous, while we were yet or still good, <laughs> while we were powerless and ungodly and still sinners, what did Jesus do for us? He died for us. And that's love. In my mess, God sent his son to die for me. 
God commendeth, some good synonyms here, he demonstrates, he proves, he shows, he manifests. God's love is not just talk, it is action. Is your love today talk or action? Oh, I love all my church family. Well, brother and -and so-and-so needs a little help. Oh, I don't have time for that today. Oh, I love my church family. Sister so-and-so is in the hospital. Yeah, it should be okay. I, I, I'm going to go fishing today. <laughs> oh, I love my church family. So-and-so just lost their job and they can't pay their bills. Well, if I do that, I can't afford my Netflix this month. But I love my church family. Is your love talk or is it action? Just like we saw in our lesson today, right? The Samaritans love He loved with his hands. He loved with his mouth. He loved with his money. He loved with his resources. He loved by showing mercy. God demonstrated his love, didn't he? It was not just talk. He gives up his son. Real love is much more than words. It demonstrates itself. God allowed his son to be spit on, to be beaten, to be mocked, and to be hung from a tree for you. Do you think that God loves you? I think that's why communion moves me so much, right? We've got some really great days to come ahead here, guys. We have Palm Sunday coming up next Sunday. And then that Friday, we have Good Friday where we'll reflect and think about the cross of Christ. God demonstrates his love. It is not just talk. Isaiah 53, verse 10 700 years before it happened, Isaiah wrote it down. It was the Lord's will to do what? To crush him, right? To cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Not only does God give up his son, but he gives up his son for sinners. Let me remind you again from two weeks ago, what are the sinners? What are we? If you lie, you're a liar. If you lust, you're a adulterer. If you take the Lord's name in vain, either with your mouth or with your life, you are a blasphemer. If you want other people's stuff at their own disregard, you are covetous. And if you take someone's stuff, you are a thief. You and I are sinners, but God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's love. (laughs) That's the love of God. That's the gospel. That's the, the herald out there proclaiming. I always think of the boys you see in the old movies when they had the newspapers for sale, right? Paper here, get your paper here, right? If you go to a ballpark, they used to do that in the ballparks. I don't know if they still do that, right? Popcorn here, right? Hot dog here, right? Well, what we need to be doing is out and about saying, the gospel is here, the good news is here, salvation is here. It has come in Jesus. While we were still liars, adulterers, blasphemers, covetous thieves, Christ died for us. I can't believe it. That's the good news. And so next week, we're going to look at, well, what does that lead into? Then if if I want to receive this Christ, what is that about? God gave up his son for sinners, not for the righteous and not for the good, definitely not for the good, but God gave up Jesus for the sinners. 
I'm going to share this with you. I think I've shared with this with some of you maybe on a Wednesday night or even a sermon before. But for some reason in my life, this is the thing that always really helps me grab hold of this idea that God gave his life, his son's life for sinners. And I want you to think about this. Diane, if you can pull up that picture. This here is in Oklahoma City. It's Oklahoma City Memorial. Anybody else ever been there? Rick been there? Okay. Um, it is one of the most moving memorials. There's a great big reflecting pool between two things. And then up on the hill are chairs that represent the death. I think there was 160 some people that died. And then there's some little chairs of the kids that died. And you want to talk about a moving experience. Let me remind you of what led to that memorial. The OKC, Oklahoma City bombing, was one of the tragedies of our country. OKC bombing was a domestic terrorist bomb attack on the Alfred P. Murrow Federal Building in downtown Oklahoma City, and it happened April 19th of 1995. The bombing killed 168 people, and it injured more than 680 other people. The blast destroyed or damaged 324 buildings within a 16-block radius. It destroyed or burned 86 cars and shattered glass in 258 nearby buildings, causing at least an estimated $650 million worth of damage. Within 90 minutes of the explosion, Timothy McVeigh was stopped by Oklahoma State Trooper Charlie Hanger for driving without a license plate and arrested for unlawfully carrying a weapon. Forensic evidence quickly linked McVeigh and Terry Nichols to the attack. Nichols was arrested, and with days, within days, both were charged. Michael and Lori Fortier were later identified as accomplices. McVeigh, an American militia movement sympathizer who was a Gulf War veteran, had detonated an explosive-filled rider rental truck parked in front of the building. His co-conspirator, Terry Nichols, had assisted in the bomb preparation. Motivated by his hatred of the federal government and angered by what he perceived as its mishandling of the Waco siege and the Ruby Ridge incident in 92, McVeigh timed his attack to coincide with the second anniversary of the deadly fire that ended the siege at Waco. Now hear me today. This is not a perfect analogy, but I think it carries the idea, and that's why I share it with you today. If, do you guys know what happened to Timothy McVeigh? He was sentenced to die. He did die, right? He was sentenced to die. And he was killed for the crime that he carried out. If the judge had said, we will spare Timothy McVeigh's life if somebody else will die in his place, do you think they could have found anyone? Do you know anybody that maybe would have said, you know what? I, will, I know he did what he did was wicked, but I will take his place. I will take his punishment. Would any of you know anybody like that? Would you have taken his place? Uh-uh, right? I'm not the one who did that. That was horrible. That guy deserves to die. Probably get an amen out of that almost, couldn't you, right? <laughs> what he did was horrible. What he did to those little children, if you walk that hill, you have a grief in your heart, but an anger would rise up too. Who in the world does this man think he would, that he could be, that he would be able to take the life of so many little innocent ones? Oh, he deserves the worst. Let's go a step further. 
For those of you that have children today, which of you would give one of your children to die so that Timothy McVeigh could be free? Uh-uh. Not my babies, right? You've got to be out of your mind, preacher. There is no way I would ever give up my children, especially for some murderous, hateful man who killed 168 people. Uh-uh. But what's the scripture say? But God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God gave up his son to take the place of the wicked sinner that I could be redeemed. Do you catch it now? That's like, crazy. That's like way beyond love that we know, isn't it, right? And I, I don't, for one moment, I would not give up my son for him and I would not give up my life for him, but God gave up his son and his life for us. And I want you to just get a glimpse this morning of how much that God loves for you. Today, how have you experienced the love of God? Have you experienced the love of God? Do you know it? One of my favorite uh, songs, uh, it's called He Loves Us, He Is Jealous For Me. Uh, Kim Walker sings it, it was written by a different guy. And she has this live per- performance. And after the end, at the end of the song, kind of in between the very end of the song, she says, I want you to experience the love of God tonight. And she says, if you've experienced the love of God, you would know. <laughs> and the way she says you would know, she knows. This is not a question. This is not, a, well, I think maybe I've experienced God. If you have experienced the love of God, you know it, right? As a little boy on a couch praying to God to save my soul, I experienced the Lord's love and I know it. There's not an inch of doubt in there that I found God's love that day. And then I found it so many other places along the way. Have you experienced the love of God? As you're sharing the gospel with people, this is a great question for you to ask them. There are some people that have not experienced God's love, right? We talked today about those kids who they don't have a mom in their life or they don't have a dad in their life. Maybe they don't know even love, let alone God's love. And as we share this part, of the Romans road, we can ask them, hey, have you experienced the love of God? All right, let me close with this last illustration as you think again about love. And I want you to think about who you can love this week by sharing the gospel with them, that you can pray for them, that they would come to Christ. In his book, Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Them, John Ortberg tells of a young man named John Gilbert. At age five, John was diagnosed with Duchenne's muscular dystrophy, a genetic, progressive, debilitating disease. At age 25, the disease finally claimed John's life. Every year, John lost something. One year, he lost the ability to run, so he couldn't play sports with the other kids. Another year, he could no longer walk straight, so all he could do was watch others play. He lost the ability to do all the outward things that we think of that make us human. Eventually, he even lost the ability to speak. John Gilbert suffered far more than what most of us can imagine during those years. 
Groups of students humiliated him because of his condition and because he had to bring a trained dog to school to help him. A bully used to torture him in the lunchroom where there were no supervising teachers and no one ever stood up for him. Maybe they are afraid for themselves. Who knows? What a silly species we are, John writes. We all need to feel accepted ourselves, but we constantly reject others. But John had other moments in his life too. And once he was invited to a National Football League fundraising auction. And when it began, one item in particular caught John's eye. It was a basketball that was signed by the players of the Sacramento Kings professional basketball team. John so desperately wanted that ball that when it came up for bid, he felt his hand raise up in the air. Not having the funds to participate, John's mother quickly brought it back down. They watched the bidding go up and up and up. It rose to an astounding amount compared to the value of the ball and especially compared to the other items at the auction. And finally, a man made a bid that no one else could possibly match, and he won the prize. The man walked to the front, and he claimed the basketball. But instead of going back to his seat, the man walked across the room, and he gently placed it into the thin, small hands of the boy who had desired it so strongly. The man put that ball into hands that would never dribble a ball down a court, never throw it to a teammate, never fire it from the foul line. But those hands would cherish it for as long as they lived. It took me a moment to realize what the man had done, John writes. I remember hearing gasps all around the room and then thunderous applause and weeping eyes. To this day, I'm amazed. Have you ever been given a gift that you could never have gotten for yourself? Has anyone ever sacrificed a huge amount for you without getting anything in return except the joy of giving? But God demonstrates his love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. All right, let's work through our verses here today and then we'll have a time of prayer for one another and the people in our life that we want to know the gospel. Romans chapter three, verse 23. Try to say it with me today. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There you go. Romans chapter six Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. All right. And then today, again, these aren't super long. These are probably good verses to know. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Look again. Romans what? 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Very good. Let's try it one more time, different way. Romans chapter 5, 8. What's the first word? But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Very good, very good. <laughs> Romans 5, 8. One last time here. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. 
while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. All right? Amen. Amen. You guys, it's not too hard. You can do it. Everybody in this room can do this, right? When you're done, you're going to know six verses, but six powerful verses that if you can work your way through them, even if you have a Bible with you, as long as you can remember the references, you know where to go, don't you, right? Everybody's a sinner. Sin leads to death. But God gave us a gift. He demonstrated his love through his son who died for us even while we were still sinners. That's where we are so far. And next week, we're going to look at very clearly, this is the part, this is kind of where you really say, if somebody, hey, would you like to receive Christ in your heart? Here's, what you, here's where it starts. Here's what you do. And so we're going to look at that. And next week and then Easter Sunday, we're going to make that great big call that lets everybody know whosoever calls on the name of the Lord, whosoever calls will be saved. All right, let's stand this morning. Who's on your heart today? Um, today again, and I know most of you in here pretty well. I feel like I do. Hopefully somewhere along your life's path, you have repented of your sins. You've asked Jesus into your life and the Lord has changed you from the inside out. And you celebrated the day by taking communion together and remembering what God did. And so praise the Lord for that today. But if you have not done that, if you're not sure today, if you were to die today and face the Lord today, if you're not sure today that you're ready to meet him, this is what we've been talking about. You can be ready to meet him by simply repenting of your sins and trusting Christ with all your heart. And you can come down to this altar today. You can meet me after church today. We can pray together, whatever you're comfortable with. But we want to make sure that everybody is ready to meet the Lord. That's what the gospel is all about. Today probably is the case for most of you here today. You've made that decision a long time ago, and you know the Lord's love. You've experienced that love. When I said that a while ago, have you experienced the Lord's love? You're like, hey, let's sit down for a few hours. I can tell you. <laughs> But today, probably, if we all were to be really honest, there's people that we love. We don't know if they know the Lord, right? We don't know if they are ready to meet the Lord today. And so what I want you to do, I'm going to go play again a little bit today. I want you to pray that God's grace will fall on the people in your life that you love. And that some of that grace will flow through you. And that people will see God's mercy as you show mercy. And God's love as you show love. And you'll pray today. Would you pray? Be bold enough to pray today. God, would you give me a chance to share these verses with somebody that I care about, that they might hear and be awakened and be drawn to you, and that they would be forever changed like you have changed me? Who's it going to be today? Who's on your heart? Who can you pray for that God will work and challenge and change them today? Let's pray together today that God will do something amazing with his gospel.